Uh, we're going to be in Philippians today again. We're coming to the end of the book or the end of the letter. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, kind of peeking into the mailbox of the Philippians before um, uh, they even get the letter. And we've been wrestling with it and, and trying to be challenged by it. And it's been very encouraging to my heart. And I hope it has been to yours. We're going to be in Philippians. We're going to be just looking at uh, three verses today. Chapter 4, 1 through 3. And if uh, you need a pew Bible and would like to ask, access that in that book, it'll be on page 982. 982. I don't know if any of you have ever read the, this wonderful book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. It is really a great little book. If you've never read that, I highly recommend it. It's called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And in the book, uh, in the beginning of the book, it's written by two men, um, Paul Tripp and Tim Lane. And they relate a story at the beginning of the book that I'm sure many of you have had uh, maybe happen in your life, something similar to this. So they, uh, you know, Paul Tripp works for the, uh, I got to look at it here, I'll say it wrong, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And at the time of the writing of this book, or right before, he was leading in the department for local church-based training. And so as he was doing that, the people, the faculty over the, the, that area were looking at it and thinking, this is really too much for just Paul to do, so we're going to hire another guy. So they hired Tim Lane. Now Tim Lane was a pastor in Clemson, North Carolina. I'm sorry, South Carolina. I got that state wrong. Clemson, South Carolina. And uh, he was hired from this church, and he went to the uh, CCEF uh, facility and began to work with Paul. They both admired each other. They knew one another. They, you know, they had done some interview processing things. So Paul knew Tim. Tim knew Paul. Everything was wonderful. Admiration, care, all this stuff. Same vision. Everything. But as they began to work together in the same room, you might guess what happened. Um, sin, weakness, uh, failure all reared their ugly heads. Uh, minor offenses became major misunderstandings. And that all began to get in the way of their mutual appreciation and love for one another. Thus, what comes out of that? A book called Relationships, a Mess Worth Making. So the question for us is, is has anything like that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever been hurt by what another person said? Have you ever felt like you haven't been heard? Uh, have you been let down? Have you ever held a grudge? I wonder if Yoda and Sixthi may have felt similar as we turn in our Bibles to this passage and look at what Paul said to them as well as now to us. So if you would, look in your Bible at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Synthi, to agree in the Lord. I ask, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you as we come once again into your presence. We thank you for your, your holy word. And we pray for illumination. Illumination by the Spirit now. Touch our hearts. Encourage us in your word. Call us to be your people as we understand it. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, from what Paul says in the text here, it seems that Yoda and Synthi were key members of the congregation. Um, They're described as fellow workers, those who had labored side by side in the gospel with Paul. They had been working together to contend for that gospel. And Paul is clear that these ladies are real Christian sisters. He makes a point, if you notice there in the text, to say that their names are in the book of life. Now, we have no idea as to the issue or issues that these ladies are having a disagreement over. Uh, Many speculate. Some say that it's doctrine. Some say that it's ethics. Some say it could be a church-related issue or perhaps a personal matter. Could be a host of other things. Who knows? Whatever it was, it was it had obviously risen to the level that it was hindering the unity and the effectiveness of the church. And so Paul felt like I've I've got to step into this. I've got to deal specifically with this quarrel because it's not only damaging these ladies, but it's damaging the life of the church. So as we hear those words this morning, here's what I want you to think about as we come to the points of the message. As citizens of grace, we are called to stand firm in unity with one another. As citizens of grace, we are called to stand firm in unity with one another. The passage instructs us in our Christian unity and helps us to further navigate choppy relational waters that we come into as we walk in our Christian lives. So we're going to look at two aspects today. We're going to look at, first of all, the calling of unity. It it's, kind of goes out beyond this passage here. The calling of unity. And then secondly, we'll see unity being worked out. We'll see Paul's practical implications for what he says. So let's first of all consider the calling of unity. The first um, verse of this chapter shows the depth of Paul's love as he's writing to his friends at Philippi. Twice in the verse he uses um, a word which literally means beloved. He rejoices over them, seeing them like a crown on his head. Listen to the, I like the Net Bible's translation of this, so listen to how it translates it. It says, Then my brothers and sisters, dear friends whom I long to see, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. So you see that, my dear friends, several times here in this one verse. And so it is with this love that he encourages them to stand firm, did you notice, in the Lord. Whatever, whatever forces may be against them, they are to stand firm in the Lord. This is a transitional sentence here. If you notice last week, I ended the passage that came before it with this particular verse. Now I'm using this verse to kick off the next one. It's transitional. All that has become before, he's saying, stand firm in the gospel. And now he's starting to say, stand firm in these practical matters as you see them working out the implications 
of the gospel. And so, uh, in verse 2, we actually see a repeat of the basis of Christian unity that Paul is exhorting us to. Listen to it again. I entreat, Eodia, I entreat, Synthi, to go um, to agree in the Lord. Now, did you hear the one phrase that's the most important phrase in this passage? It is this, in the Lord. In the Lord is, is that is the most important phrase here. Paul is emphasizing for us the key to the basis of our unity in our Christian relationships. He speaks to this as well in 1 Corinthians. He speaks to it in Ephesians. He speaks to it in Colossians. He speaks to this in Romans. He speaks to this in Galatians. You can't get away from it when it comes to Paul. But if you look in the rest of your Bible, you'll see that you'll see it in, in, for example, 1 Peter. And you'll even see it in the Old Testament, the passage that Amanda read for us. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You even see it, and you especially see it in the Gospels. You might remember that night when Jesus was gathered with his disciples at the table. And he begins to, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. And it's in John, um, starting in around chapter 13 through 17. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, a wondrous section of Scripture, my favorite. And, and, and Jesus is there with his disciples and he instructs them and he's preparing them for what's ready to happen right before their eyes as he goes to the cross. And, he, and he, while he's there with them, he starts to pray for them. And then as he's praying for them in chapter 17, and this it's really ends the discourse, he prays for us. Listen to these words. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us. That they all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Do you hear Jesus' prayer? He is is basically communicating to us that our God desires for us as His people to be visible, to be an earthly community of unity in Christ. This is what the Lord has called us to. But it's helpful for us to grasp the understanding of why. So why is that? Why is it so important that He calls us to this? He calls us, the people of God, the church, to this because He has given Himself for us. He died for us. He died for the church. He spilled His blood for her sins and gave us His own righteousness. Not only this, but remember what Paul says in other places, specifically Colossians. He lives within the church. 
When Paul talks about this in Colossians, the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the you there is plural. Olivia and I were talking about this the other day. There is a, and I had no idea this, but there is a Southern Bible out there. And where can you find this? Is it, can you find it online? I don't even know. You can find it online. And so if you open the Southern Bible, you'll begin to see where all the y'alls are instead of the you singulars are. And so I love that. As a matter of fact, I'm going I'm to start using it in my sermons because I'm going to pull out those y'alls. The, y'all, the you here is plural. Christ in, and it's y'all. Christ in y'all. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about it just for a minute. Christ in y'all. Really? It's us together in unity. And so here's the deal. If, if we are in Him, and He is in us, He would have us be unified in together as one. You see, I, I don't even know how to explain it to, to, except to say this. God is more, and I don't know if I could say this. This may be extra biblical, but it's just, this is what I think, okay? God is more concerned about being glorified in y'all than in you. Does that make sense? The yous make up the y'all. And so He does live in you, but it's for the y'all. It's for His people. It's always about His people. If it was about an individual, I think He would have just saved one person. But He saves us. And that's the thing that we have to understand. And I think it's difficult for us as Americans, right? Because we're so individualistic. It really is, it is about y'all, His people. His people. As we're in Him and He is in us, He has called us to glorify Him together as one. A.W. Tozer said this in the pursuit of God. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard which each one must individually bow. And so the idea here is is that we all bow as, as us to the one God. That's what he's talking about here in this passage. Agree in the Lord. Our God desires us as His people to be a visible earthly community of unity in Christ. We are called to live in harmony with one another. So in light of that, Paul now will give us some practical steps. He kind of lays out a few practical steps here um, to help us as we struggle with this. So let's consider... Our unity being worked out. Our unity being worked out. Now listen, I want to talk about two aspects here. I want to talk about the one-to-one and then with help of another. Okay, so we'll talk about one-to-one first and then help with another. So first of all, we see here that unity is being worked out between one-to-one and agreement in the Lord. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Synchthi to agree in the Lord. Paul was being very careful here. Uh, not to take sides in this disagreement. In fact, again, he doesn't even mention what it was. And again, a lot of people speculate, but he doesn't mention it. Isn't that interesting? 
It's like the issue doesn't matter. What matters is being in the Lord. So he's, he's trying to help them navigate through that. But there is, no, there is no doubt here that he, as well as the whole congregation, knew about this particular situation. And so he entreats both ladies individually. Now here's the thing. Can you imagine this just for a moment? Let's say Jason came to me this week. And Jason told me about a, a problem with one of the family members, you know. Or maybe one of you. And he, and he talked about this problem and it had caused uh, an estrangement. Can you imagine if I came up here and I said, Now Jason, I think you and Jessica need to work this out. Just like that. Can you imagine that? That's what Paul's doing here. But it's because the congregation knows that there's an issue here. They're a small church. So they know something's going on. Now what's very interesting here about that is, is I think Paul, it, it, and it may, because it's woven through the letter. There's all these things there in the letter that point to this particular situation, which he you know, does this you know, three little verses on. And it's almost like Paul's, you know, like, I got to deal with this. How should I deal with this? You know, I wonder if he's really trying to struggle through, how do I deal with this? I've got to in this letter. And then he maybe decides, I don't know. But it's just interesting to see his thought through the letter. But, but he, he says this, and it's bold. So even though Paul is away, and even though he couldn't do this face-to-face, it shows that Paul thought these ladies in the church would trust him enough to speak the truth that was obviously already public knowledge. It shows, again, that he loves them enough to address them on this important issue. And so it begs the question for us. And I think this is, as I thought about this, this is a question I had. Do I trust another person to do that for me? Do I trust you guys, maybe? Might I trust you to come to me and to say, Pastor, I think you have a problem. You know, folks, we, and if you're like me, this is the thing. You, it matters how people come to you. The message, the me, how the message is delivered matters. But it shouldn't matter as much as the message. Sometimes, you know, you're going to have someone come to you that their tactic is a bad side, you know, kind of like one of those doctors with a bad side bed manner. You're like, oh my goodness, you know, you could have delivered that message a little bit better to me, right? But I've learned through, through the church you know, coming to me and saying, what about this, Patrick? I've learned to listen to the message and not worry so much about how the message is delivered. However, as long as we're delivering the message and as long as we're all talking about it, we ought to learn to deliver messages like that thoughtfully and with care and love. Why? Because church discipline, even as Paul says, church discipline is not about being punitive. As a matter of fact, think discipline, discipleship. See how those are kind of together? Church discipline is being discipled. It's hearing this word and coming underneath it and saying, Lord, I'll listen to you. Right? And so as we, as we think about that discipline aspect, discipline is about growing people. It's about, sometimes it's about correcting people and saying, this is where you're, I see you going off base. And, and come back to the Lord. 
You know, sometimes we have to have those hard conversations with one another. But Paul cared enough about these ladies, right? He cared about the church. Might we care enough for that other person to confront them? Or as a dear friend of mine used to say, care front them? Care front them enough to say, there's something wrong here. I love that about Paul. Do you trust your leadership? Do you trust one another to do that? Let me just say this. You should. Because if they care enough, think about it. If they care enough to do that, they care about you. Even if sometimes the message is a little bit scrambled. All right? Most of the, moving on, most of the uh, commentators note that Paul's language is very strong here. That he's imploring, he's, he's begging, he's asking these ladies individually to agree in the Lord. Now as strong as the language is here, I, I, I don't prefer the ESV translation. I think Paul is actually using the same word as he's using in chapter 2, verse 2. When he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord of, and of one mind. It's the same wording that he's using there. Be of one mind. So to agree here is perhaps more fittingly means to be of the same mind or literally still to think the same thing. So listen again to the full of what Paul had penned earlier in the heart of the letter in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Because that's what he's going back to here. He's going back to chapter 2. And he wants them to hear the, he wants these ladies to have that back in their minds as this letter is being read to the congregation. So listen to what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of, uh, in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Brothers and sisters, did you hear that? That is the heart in which Paul is entreating these ladies. These ladies were failing to think as those who belonged to Jesus and share, and share His mind. They weren't sharing Jesus' priorities. They were failing to consider the other better than themselves. They were failing to count others or, or everything as lost for the sake of the gospel. I want you to think about the ramifications of that. 
How many of you have ever had a situation before where you have a conflict with another person in the church? I have. You know what that resulted in? Sleepless nights. As a matter of fact, there are things in my history I still go back and think about and go, could I have handled that differently? Could I have spoken to that this way? Maybe you've also experienced, if that's ever happened, you've experienced some peaceless existence. You've been in a place where you can't settle your mind and your heart. You have no peace in the situation in your life or whatever else because it's nagging you. This relationship with this person is, a, is messed up. Also, it can cause issues in the church. There's church community repercussions. The church here in, this, in, this, uh, in the Philippian uh, church, they not only knew, but they were wounded. You can think about that. They're wounded. They're sleepless. They're peaceless too. And overall, when you think about all this, Getty notes that here that a continuing antagonism can only weaken the church and scandalize those who look for role models among their leadership. And this is a mess. And so what Paul does is he pleads, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Now listen, I want to say something about this, okay? You have to understand this. Paul doesn't tell them that they have to come to the same conclusion here, does he? That's not what he says. He could have said that in the text. I want you to come to the conclusion on this matter. He didn't do that. It was obviously a tricky matter then. Something that was uh, the situation of, of a mess. And, and it wasn't easy to discern and work through. It may be unlikely to happen with some things, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to, that one has to agree on the same conclusion. And so what Paul does tell them here is this. He says this. He says, have the same mind in the Lord. So, so you may, in, in other words, agree to disagree about a matter. And, and sometimes that's just life. It's just the way it is. And I tell people all the time when it comes to, like for example, when it comes to books, I'll buy a book and I'll begin to read it and there are things in there I don't agree with the author on biblically even. Uh, there's sometimes when even like um, in my sermon preparation, lots of times I'll, I'll go to uh, other preachers to see if I can find illustrations because sometimes illustrations are hard to find. And as I look at their, past, their, script, their um, messages, I'll go, man, what is this? He's way off base here. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. That's not what the passage is saying. But the Lord is leading him to preach. If I read a book and I come to that conclusion, or if I recommend a book to you, don't ever assume that I agree with everything the author wrote. But here's the thing. We can agree in the Lord, can't we? We can agree in the Lord. And so that, that, that passage there where you're counting others as, as more important than yourself is a pretty big deal. It is a pretty big deal. As we think about that idea of in the Lord, 
the context must mean looking to the eternal good of the sister while in humility considering her more significant. This is not acting out of selfish ambition. Here's the thing too, you can't really live in and out of the gospel or proclaim the gospel with your mouth while your attitude is more like that of the enemies of the cross than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's call for these ladies is to come to one mind in the presence of the whole church because it was necessary for the unity there to be restored. So you could see as we read that, that what happened in true time in the past in the Philippian church, you can see how relevant it is today. It is relevant. It's always relevant. How do I know that for sure? Is because the scriptures again are filled with the idea and the thought process and all of that of being in one unity. Here, he doesn't command it. In other places, it's commanded. Here, he's begging, he's entreating. Come, ladies, come. Let us be of one mind in the Lord. So what Paul is saying is, is to us is he expects this kind of struggle and situation to exist in the church. But he refuses to just lay down and not address the issue. He is deeply concerned to see reconciliation between those that are estranged in the context of the congregation. And so he says, ladies, please agree in the Lord. Now, along with that here, you notice he kind of makes this little transition in the next verse in verse 3. So you notice that he talks about, as we talk about unity being worked out, he calls on the help of another. That's important. Look at verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So there's one person here, Paul's true companion. And there's plenty of discussion about who this true companion is in the commentaries and in different things, but no, we don't know for certain. But this one person was to have particular responsibility for this. These two needed help. They needed a mediator. And so he tells this true companion to look. I need you to work together to bring these dear sisters to Christ back into fellowship with one another. I need you to. And so do you see what Paul's doing here? You may not notice it, but he's doing something here very significant. What he's doing is this. He is applying Matthew 18 to this particular situation. Now, you may remember Matthew 18. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others with you, so that by every charge uh, there may be established evidence between two or three witnesses. So here in this passage, there's a disagreement which may or may not include sin, honestly. Now, behind the scenes, there's definitely sin in both of their hearts, but it's, it's different in this passage, right? You can almost sense the difference. One of the ladies probably didn't go to the other lady and said, you've sinned against me. That's probably not what the issue is. Yet, Paul still applies the emphasis of Matthew 18 to this passage. And he does this for the health and the healing of the body. 
He is calling us here, I think, to have that in mind. So whether it's someone sinned against you, or there's, a, there's a, a, a situation where you just can't agree on a particular issue or problem or something like that, I think the Lord is saying, if you can't work it out together, and maybe not many people know about it in this particular situation, the whole church knew. So Paul makes the call on that. But for you as individuals, if you can't work something out, go to someone that you trust. And remember, if it's you, your heart may be saying, yeah, I'm going to go get this person because I know they'll be on my side. That's not what we need, though. If we're really honest with ourselves, we don't always need to be right. But we always do need to be righted by the Lord. And so you go and you find someone to come that can be a, a balanced person in the situation and hear both sides. And I want to tell you what breaks. You know, one of the situations that I've had in the past is I, I confronted, uh, I had a brother, had another issue with a brother. They called me and they said, would you come and mediate? And I did. And, and I went in the situation and it got worse. It just got worse. And it got frustrating and, and I was so frustrated in it. And when it all boils down to it, one of the brothers would not submit. Oh, it just angered me so much. He just wouldn't submit. He wouldn't consider the other brother more important than himself. He considered his idea more important. I wake up at night sometimes thinking about that. And I get annoyed. I have to go, Lord, he's your child. Not mine. <laughs> you work in his heart. But I say that to say that let us always be receptive to being corrected in the Lord. And, and even with that one situation, I, you know, I have to explain to the brother, your idea is not wrong. How you handle the situation, though, offended your brother. Can you not ask for forgiveness of that? No. Again, because my idea is so right. I can't tell you how much that pains my heart. It can happen to anybody though. So let us be people who will give our hearts over to hearing of, of, of how the Lord is leading in that particular situation if we bring in another counselor into it. Again, God's people are always more than individuals and we have to remember that. Personal differences can be deadly. They divide fellowship, sow seeds of bitterness, divert attention from central issues to petty peripheral concerns which suck energy that could be employed either in building up the body of believers or reaching out to the community around us. Ken Sandy tells a story um, about a, a church and they had a traditional Sunday school format method that they were thinking about changing. So people in the church came and said, look, we, we think this might could be different. So they appealed to the elders. The elders started wrestling with it a little bit and said, you know, let's talk to the congregation about this. So they gathered the congregation around and, and everyone was there for the meeting. And then all of a sudden, and I've been in meetings like this before, it grew tense. It grew tense. Advocates for each Sunday school format argued strenuously for their preferred program, and they listed in details all the potential drawbacks of the alternative format. 
as the debate continued, it was evident that they weren't listening to one another. They weren't trying to, they weren't allowing the other person to be more important than them. They were the more important ones. Their idea was the best. Theirs was what was right. And so when they left the meeting, there were two polarized groups in a church. Now, you know what that means in most churches, don't you? The big split's coming. However, the pastor was wise. You know what he preached on the next Sunday? I kid you not. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Kid you not. After drawing attention to the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and for the sake of the church, the pastor focused on verses 3 and 4, which I read to you already. But hear them again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He even referred to the Sunday school controversy in his sermon. And he asked questions like this. Are you assuming that you've got all the right answers? Or do you realize that other people may actually be wiser or more insightful than you? Are you acting to protect only your own self goals? Or are you sincerely trying to understand and look out for the interest of others? And so when the sermon was over, the congregation was subdued, obviously. And after they left... Um, and came back together, um, they, they began the process once again. And this time, there was no tenseness in the room. As a matter of fact, um, one of the men stood up who had been on one side, and he actually gave out why he was wrong before and talked about how good that side was. And then what was funny, a few moments of silence, is one of the other guys stood up who was on the other side. And he started advocating for that side. You know what happened? People started to laugh. They started to laugh. They started to chuckle. This is, this is funny. Pastor you know, gently interrupted and he said this, These, this is the kind of conflict that God loves to see in His church. These two brothers are humbly seeking to understand each other, setting aside their own selfish desires and arguing in favor of what will serve the other's interest instead of his own. That, the pastor's right. That's how it's supposed to be. You see, there's going to be trouble in your life. You know, there's going to be strife between brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the thing, these situations, and hear me, hear me, do not have God wringing His hands in heaven. These particular situations are, are opportunities for God's gospel to be lived out and worked in and through His people. It is an opportunity to stand fast in unity of the gospel. It is a time for love and understanding and forgiveness to be shown. Harmony. Again, the church at its best is like an orchestra with many different instruments blending together under one conductor to play complementary parts in one glorious composition. This is for His glory and in Him and only in Him is that unity possible.
by His grace. So let us never strive or stop striving to pray for the peace and unity of our body here at Christ Community Church. It is in Christ only that we're able to do that. Praise be His name. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this rather hard topic that we come to in Scripture. It's always good when we go through studies like this through the whole book of, of a certain section of the Bible as we go through that book. We come across hard things like this that we just can't jump over. Lord, I'm sure that in this room, some of us may be convicted of past situations. Um, some of us may be um, reminded of our own hearts at some point in our lives. Uh, Father, um, some of us may be tripling in, in fear, knowing that there could be a situation above the horizon coming our way that, that causes such strife and trouble. But Lord, may we take heart in the gospel. May we take heart in the forgiveness of sins. Father, another story I read this week was about a brother who years later felt convicted by something like this and contacted his old church and, and made known that he was in the wrong. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. Who knows what message that sent to the church and how it may have helped that church even work through things that they needed to work through. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and mercy to us. Help us to stand firm in the gospel. And in particular, with this passage in unity, together in harmony. Let it be for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.